Old Testament heroes of the faith. They just, they excite me. There's such incredible narrative. There's such incredible action. There's so many things that are going on. And there's so many things that we can learn from. But also this. And here's something you need to remember. Because some people say, well, why do we need to study the Old Testament? What's, what's, the, point of, what's the point of that? Well, we believe that all of his in scripture, all of scripture points to the Redeemer. Every word, every story, every narrative, Christ is in it. And it's all pointing to Christ, which is the whole goal of creation. Christ, God in the flesh, dwelling among us. So 2 Chronicles 20, we're going to look at a righteous king today. Now if you remember, we, we talked about Samuel and we talked about him anointing Saul. And Saul became uh, not so good of a king. He actually didn't do too well at all. And then, you know, after that was King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Many of you know about David. Uh, then we had Solomon. And then it kind of goes and the kingdom splits up after that. And then we have the kingdom of Judah. And we have the kingdom of Israel. And we have a bunch of bad kings. I mean, a lot of bad dudes. And just a handful of righteous ones that we can count literally on our hand. And so today we're looking at one of those kings, King Jehoshaphat. You may have heard of his name. It's a fun name. I recommend that if you're looking at having a boy. Jehoshaphat. It's a great name. Okay? You laugh. You may want to try it out. Okay? I was actually talking to my friend the other day. They're expecting their third child, three and under. Amen? We need to pray for him. Right? Okay? So he's got three, two, and actually not even two yet. And now the newborn's coming in January. All right? All the parents. Or collective side, right? Um, praying for you, brother. Anyway, maybe he's listening right now. I'm not sure if he is, but uh, we were talking about names and trying to come up with names, and so I was, you know, throwing out some of these cool biblical names like Obadiah and Jehoshaphat, you know, and Elijah and Elisha, and so he didn't think that those were too good of names. So he, I think, uh, I don't think he's going to win out. Usually, it's the wife that has a little more say in that anyway, right? Amen. Okay. Second Chronicles 20, as we track forward, um, and then we're going to look at next week a rare story that I, get, I, I bet almost none of you have heard of, okay? None of you have heard of it. It's a few more chapters down, so we can kind of play a guessing game this week at what story that's going to be. I'll prompt you a little bit more about that later. The other day, um, I was making some breakfast muffins. Uh, it used to be my job in the mornings to make breakfast. That kind of was my deal um, for many years. And uh, since we've moved here, I've kind of transferred that responsibility, transferred or dropped it or passed it over. However you want to look at it, that's kind of how it's gone. And so I haven't been making breakfast much lately. But the last time uh, that I made uh, some muffins, I tried to make some, uh, what do you call it, banana nut muffins and stuff like that, right? And so I was doing that. But the problem is I forgot a key ingredient. And so, um, you know, baking soda is really important when it comes to baking. Okay, you all realize that. And so my muffins were supposed to look nice, big, plump, and juicy. You know, they're supposed to be great, big banana nut muffins. And they were these deflated, doughy, awful-looking things. And I wouldn't have recommended them to anybody. They were horrible. Well, they were, they were missing the baking soda. And so no, no rising, no, no chemical reaction to make them enhance. None of that kind of stuff. So you can imagine the faces that were my children produced. We have to eat this? Are you serious? This is what we're having for breakfast? Now you know what mom took over breakfast, right? So that's, that's uh, <laughs> the, the point of the story is this. Here's the point. Why did I tell you this funny story? Because 
in worship, there are certain ingredients that we have to have. Okay? To use the cooking analogy, there's certain things. Like if you miss the baking soda, you kind of miss it, right? If you miss the sugar, you kind of miss it. If you miss bananas and banana nut bread, you really miss it, okay? There's really something wrong. So in worship, there are certain elements that we have to have. There's certain things that we have to have in worship that are involved in worship. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what it takes to have real worship. And we're going to learn from Jehoshaphat. So here we go. 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20. Now, again, with all of our Old Testament narratives, it's quite lengthy. So stay with me. We do have 30 verses to cover. I'll try to make it interesting. All right, here we go. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, by the way, we're going to have a lot of those long words. And with some of them, the Menuhites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are here at Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and say, verse 10, stay with me here. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You can circle that verse, by the way. Highlight it. We're going to come back to it. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, verse 15, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed by this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Another circle right there. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the valley ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord and the God, with, uh, the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out 
into the wilderness of Tekoa, verse 20. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. Verse 23. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in the valley of Baraka, for, they, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned, verse 27, almost done, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. It's a big celebration, big party, big festival. And the fear of, the, of, of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. For his God gave him rest all around. Let's pray. So, Lord, as we come to this moment today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We pray that as, as we see this incredible story, God, we pray that uh, we would learn what real worship is about and what it involves. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you see what we have here. There is a great horde. There's three different countries. There's three different peoples that are coming against. They're teaming up to come against Judah and King Jehoshaphat. And they want to take them out. That's their goal. Well, the problem is Jehoshaphat at this time, troops are depleted. It kind of is an ambush. It kind of came up on them on surprise. And they're not quite sure what to do. Hence verse 12, right? He actually says, we don't know what to do. So what does he do when he first finds this news out? He calls a worship service for the whole nation. He calls them all together. He says, okay, we get together. We're going to all get together and we're going to have a worship service. I want you to notice what he doesn't do. It's very interesting what he doesn't do, right? What he doesn't do is go, woe is me, and go talk and complain to all of his friends. And go say all kinds of things and just work himself up into some kind of Craziness. No, he didn't do that at all. He actually, it says, verse 4, he called a worship service. He gathered all the people of Israel together and said, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to find out what does God want us to do in this situation. There's a little word for that, right? First person you should turn to is God, not somebody else. Amen? Amen. Too many times we try to turn to everything else, and then we turn to God at the end. Let God be your first response, not your last. Amen? All right. So that was free. That wasn't even in the script. That wasn't even in the transcript today. That's just free for you, okay? Is anybody, are y'all awake? Are we here? Okay, just checking sure. All right. Maybe the cold got to us today. I'm not quite sure. All right, here we go. First thing that you need to know when it comes to real worship. And Jehoshaphat showed us. He brought them all together. He said this. 
and he points this out. We need to remember the works and the words of the Lord. The works and the words of the Lord. Where do we see that? Well, he starts right there in verse 7. He said, did not our God drive out the inhabitants? So what he's telling the people, as we see this quite often in the narrative of the Old Testament, is we see that they recite what God had did. And if you notice, they go back to Egypt. Many times, they talk about how they were slaves in Egypt, but how God delivered them, right? They were under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, but God set them free. He delivered them, right? They crossed the, they crossed the Jordan River, and God promised them this land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. So he recalls the works, and he also recalls the words of the Lord. Look, he says in verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand. He's actually quoting God's words already been delivered through prophets to his people. He's saying, this is what you said, God. This is what you said. This is what at stake. Do you know that God is a big enough God that you can call his reputation into question and you can say, God, your reputation is on the line. That's okay. Because at the end of the day, what God gets is the glory of it. And that's what our desire should be. Jehoshaphat opens up the worship service by recalling what God did and what he said. He doesn't start with any other thing. In fact, what Jehoshaphat knew was what the psalmist David had already instructed. Look at Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to another. This is what we're supposed to do in worship. We shall declare your mighty acts. Your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. And I love this. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. See, Jehoshaphat, as a leader, knew a very important principle. What you continually put before the people, the people will start to believe. What you put before your people, whether it's your family, whether it's your organization, what you put before them, if you put negativity before them, guess what's going to come out? Negativity. But if you put the awesome works of the Lord before them, guess what that's going to do? That's going to embolden them their faith. That's going to feed them. You surround with doom and gloom, that is what you will get, right? But when we surround ourselves and we remind ourselves of how God has delivered us from drugs, from pornography addictions, from uh, broken marriages, how he has restored, how he has redeemed, how he has healed our diseases, how he has conquered our selfishness and our pride, then guess what? We are encouraged and we spur one another on to good works. That's what we were talking about this morning in our Bible study class. We were talking about... And we were sharing about how God is redeeming and restoring and how God has always been faithful. And that if we push and we pray as we are learning that God will deliver. Y'all know on Facebook they have these, uh, I wonder if I have to pay them every time I say their name. I'm not sure if they get any kind of credit on that or not. But you know on Facebook, they, get, they have these, uh, these memories that pop up. Y'all seen those? You know, like four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, seven years ago, right? It, it, it's kind of like those all moments. Um, maybe they're embarrassing moments for some of you that pop up. I'm not quite sure. But it's those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that when. Or I remember when I had the little guy or, you know, I remember graduation. Or I remember these things, right? That's what Jehoshaphat's doing. And, and he's basically putting the Facebook memories before the people. And he's saying, look. 
Don't you remember we crossed the Jordan River and we entered the Promised Land? Don't you remember we were delivered from Egypt? Don't you remember how God did all these things? He's putting memories right before them. Jesus did this when face-to-face -face with the enemy himself. He didn't, all, he didn't only recall um, just the works of the Lord. He recalled the words of the Lord. And sometimes you have to speak the words of the Lord audibly. He said this. What did he say when he was tempted? Matthew 4.4. 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Why do we recite scripture? Why do we see songs, sing songs in worship that come straight from scripture? Because every time that we do that, we're encouraging one another in the work of the Lord. So we need to speak and encourage one another with our words and how God has worked in the past. Secondly, what do we need to do? We need to request God's help. This is so big. We need to request God's help. <laughs> I think a lot of people by uh, using OMG think that they're requesting God's help all the time. You would think that. And in fact, next time someone does that, you should say, are you asking for God's help? Let's pray right now. This is a good moment. Let's do that, right? It's a good, it's a good reset, so I encourage you to do that. But request God's help. Why does Jehoshaphat do that? Look what he says in verse 12. He says, will you not execute judgment on them, O God? And this is a verse that I have circled and highlighted in my Bible for years. He says, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. For we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have you been there? Amen. Right? We've all had that I don't know moment. We're paralyzed and we just don't know what in the world we're supposed to do. Are we supposed to go this way? Are we supposed to go that way? We, we want God's clarification in a specific issue. Are we supposed to take this job? Are we supposed to move? Are we not supposed to move? And we come to that point where we request God's help. I know there's been many times in my life that's just, Lord, there's a great horde coming against me, right? You feel all the pressures coming against you. And you just need to take that moment. And you just need to have to You just need to stop. And you just say, God, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are fixed on you. Sometimes we let fear keep us from praying for a miracle because we feel like we will have failed if God doesn't answer the way we want. The only way we can fail is failing to ask. Amen? That's not mine originally, that's Mark Batterson. And if you're in our 40-day prayer challenge, you recognize that quote already. In fact, if you haven't gotten a part of our 40-day prayer challenge, let me highly encourage you to do so. I've already gotten a great amount of feedback, people encouraged, and it's actually having a ripple effect, not only here, but across the state. I have friends that have joined us in this 40-day prayer challenge, and then they've invited friends, and they're actually telling about how, what God's doing in their life. It's pretty incredible. They're putting Facebook posts on there they're, of what God is doing and how God is working through this 40-day challenge. So it's not too late. I don't know if every book is gone, and if it is, I promise you we will order more. Don't let, because you're a week behind, say that you're not going to do it. Let me highly encourage you. Get in. No matter when you get in, get in. Okay? It's one, two, three day, three pages a day. But I guarantee you, God will change your life through it. Not because there's something magical in the book, but because you give a concentrated effort. And you show God how serious you are about prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. 
Be specific and be persistent, right? Jesus said that we're to ask, to seek, and to knock. And the verb there is actually an, on, it's a, it's an ongoing. It's you're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking. You don't just, not just a one-time event. It's a continual ask, seek, and knock. And what we're learning in the four-day prayer challenge is that we draw that circle around our prayers. You know, those impossible prayers that you think God is never going to break through in this person's heart. God is never going to break through in this person's situation. And it seems like an impossible situation. That's exactly where Jehoshaphat found himself. Exactly. But we have to be specific. We have to ask. We have to seek. And we have to knock. So we need to request God's help. In fact, I think... As Mark Batterson said, many times we are afraid to pray the dangerous prayers because we're afraid that it will reflect poorly on God if he doesn't deliver. Right? Because when we go all chips in and we ante up and we say, and in fact, in day six of the prayer challenge, he talks about a missionary who's in Africa. And a witch doctor cursed the one tree that the church met under in the community. And the witch doctor didn't like what God was doing in the community and through that church, and he cursed the tree. And the tree withered up. And it was at one of these Jehoshaphat moments that the missionary, the pastor, had to decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to fold our tents and go home? Or are we going to ante up and are we going to go all in? And so what he did is he called a prayer service. He called a prayer service. They all surrounded the tree. They all put hands on the tree. And they cried out to God. And they asked God to show up and to show off. And guess what happened? That tree was restored and that village came to Christ. That kind of stuff still happens. I'm telling you, it still happens today. Can, can God change a campus that is three blocks away from us? Absolutely. Can God change the hearts of students from hardness to receptivity? Absolutely. But we must draw the circle. We must keep asking. We must keep knocking. We must keep seeking. So we need to request God's help. But thirdly, we need to remember that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Verse 15, Jehoshaphat said, at the end of verse 15, he says, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight, verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Now, notice what Jehoshaphat wasn't telling them to do. He didn't say, just sit there, did he? No, he said, stand, stand firm. In fact, what he's instructing them is he said, get in ready position. <laughs> Get in full armor position. Get your armor on. Get ready to go. And think about how crazy this is. At this point, he doesn't even know how God's going to deliver them. He has, he has no clue. But he has a confidence and he has a faith that God is going to deliver them. So he says, get your sword, get your shield, get your belt, gird up, get ready. Soldiers, stand at attention. And they get ready like they are going to battle. That's what God calls us to do, Right? He doesn't call us to sit. In fact, he calls us, another Mark Batterson quote, you may get tired of him, but another one, he says, we need to work as if it depends on us 
and pray as if it depends on God. And that's so true. So many times we think that we just pray about a situation. And hear me, you can't push the Lord, you, you can't rush his time when he's got a set time. But many times he wants to see that we are going to stand up and get ready for the battle, that we're going to gird ourselves, that we're going to take the necessary actions and steps to get ready for the battle. In fact, this acronym of stand, first one, you can write this down, is show up. Half the battle showing up. You may have heard that before. The reason we don't show up is because we don't think there's a battle going on. Right? We don't treat life as a battle. Apathy is one of the greatest enemies, I mean, one of the enemy's greatest tools. If the enemy lives your life and it can just be ho-hum and you can just guide gently and safely into eternity, he's got you right where he wants you. But that's not where God wants you. We have to show up. Don't be apathetic. Secondly, we need to tell God that we are ready for the fight. You need to tell God, I'm ready for the fight. I'm ready to join in. I'm ready to join in the fight. A, we need to affirm who you are in Christ. We see it again. He's Jehoshaphat saying, you are a chosen people. You have been promised everything. You've been given everything you need. And God is for you. He says it over and over. God is with you. God is for you. Apostle Paul said, if God is for you, who can be against you? In never quit. Never quit. Just because we don't see immediate results does not mean that God doesn't deliver. I'm a very impatient person. But God is teaching me that just because I don't see immediate results doesn't mean that you throw in the towel. Amen? Amen. Life is about the long haul. And faith is a journey. So we must never, ever quit. D, do not delay. Do not delay. That may seem a bit repetitive. But Hebrews 13, 3, 15 says, Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not Harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, what do I mean by this in the do not delay and to give you that context? Here's what I mean. I mean that there are some times that God is pressing upon you. I call them Holy Spirit nudges. And he is telling you and you know that he is pressing on you to do so. To open up your mouth, to speak a word, to encourage somebody, to pray for somebody. Not just telling them you're praying for them, but I mean like literally pray for them. Those are kinds of things that you don't need to delay on. You don't need to sleep on it overnight and overnight because what happens is time tends to numb you. Amen? Amen. Time tends to numb you. So do not delay. Stand up. Show up. Tell God you're ready. Affirm who you are in Christ. Never quit. And do not delay. See, some miracles take sweat equity. Your effort doesn't make them happen, but your lack of effort can keep them from happening. It's our laziness that keeps many Miracles from happening. The Apostle Paul said this in Colossians 1.29. He said, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. See, we're to work as if it depends on us, praise as if it depends on God, but here's the kicker. We're not toiling in our own energy. The Apostle Paul says that the energy that we are to exert is the energy of Christ. 
We're to toil in his energy. Because if you're doing it in your own energy, you're going to wear out, burn out, and be done quickly. But if you're doing it in Christ's energy, in God's energy, because you are pouring yourself out for a holy cause, you're pouring yourself out in worship to God, he will fill you up. And it will be the most exhausting era. But I had a friend, I had a friend, yeah, I have friends in, in Corpus and other places that check on me and say, hey, how are you doing? And, and around here as well. I said, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's like crazy. I, I get to the end of the day, and yeah, I'm worn out, but here's the good news. It's a great worn out. That's what you want, right? When you're pouring yourself out for the gospel, when you're pouring yourself out for the kingdom of God, that is what you want. Lastly, what do we need to do? We'll wrap this up. We need to rejoice in the Lord. Not only remember that the battle is the Lord's, we need to rejoice in the Lord. They returned home, returning to Jerusalem, verse 27, with joy. The Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. We don't do this rejoicing thing very well. Right? I don't. I kind of want to go on to what the next thing is. But I don't, I don't sit and throw a party and rejoice very well. I'll just freely admit that. I'm, I'm like, what's the next task? What's the next thing we need to conquer? What's the next thing we need to do? But rejoicing is a biblical command. It's a good thing. You're actually supposed to sit there and think and have a party and say, this is what God has done for us. This is what God is doing. Rejoicing is a requirement. It's not a suggestion, but it's a command. When we rejoice, we repeat the never-ending cycle of praise and hope in Christ. But here's this. Rejoicing is also a reward, right? We get the joy of reveling in what Christ has done and what he's doing for us. Rejoicing is a reward. God not only gave victory over them, he blessed his people with more that they could take. Did you catch that? At the end, so God causes confusion among the people. The Israelites get ready for battle. God causes confusion among the people. They all start attacking each other, all the enemies. They get confused. That's what God did. That's how they defeated their enemies. And then they show up to the valley everybody's dead and there's all the plunder and there's all the goods and in those days that's what you did you went and you took all the plunder and all the goods did you see how many days it took them three days the whole army of judah it took them three days to gather all that stuff i want you to think the amount of plunder and goods that those guys were getting that's a lot and in fact so much so that they renamed the valley that was known for death they renamed it as the valley of blessing the valley of blessing. Do you know that that's what God wants to do in your life? He wants to take your moments that are known, perhaps by you and by others, as a very negative experience, maybe even a valley of death, and he wants to turn it into a valley of blessing for you. You say, would God, would God do that for me? Absolutely. Because guess who gets the glory out of it? Not you. He does. So they get to bask in the goodness of God. He gives them physical blessings. He gives them spiritual blessings. They defeat their enemy. They enjoy the plunder. They enjoy the good, so much so that they can't even handle it all. And they rename it Baraka, the Valley of Blessing. That's what happens when we genuinely worship God. When we come together and we worship Him and we remember the works, the words of the Lord, we remember the battle is the Lord's, that God is doing the fighting. God is doing the fighting for us. And then we rejoice 
and we celebrate what he's doing. I pray that our church, UBC, would be known as a church of blessing. 